Well, it's good to come into the presence of God and worship together and love God together. And that's a really, really good thing. I want to mention something really quick. I shared with you uh, earlier that we're starting a brand new uh, Christmas message series in a couple of weeks. And today what I want to do is I want to share a passage of scripture that I've read many, many times before, but, um, you know, and have sort of like briefly used it, maybe a talk or a message uh, before, but not really taking the passage to talk about in detail as I'm going to do with you this morning. But before I get to that, I, I wanted to mention to you uh, that Michelle, Michelle uh, Cordova, who, uh, who was over on uh, you're right, my left, uh, Michelle. She does a fantastic job. She's been with us for a good long while now, and today is her last Sunday with us because she's moving up north. Can you imagine somebody thinking about moving up north in, in the month of November? But she's going to be joining a great ministry with her mom uh, there, and I wanted to just share that with you. So when you see Michelle Cordova, uh, dark hair, again, she was over here on what is my left now, uh, let her know how much that you love her and appreciate her and wish her well in her new ministry opportunity there with her own family. I think it's New York. Is it New York or is Virginia. All right. You know, once you get past Tennessee, it all sort of runs together for me. Um, but uh, in Virginia. And so be praying for Michelle. She's a wonderful, wonderful person. She's going to be a blessing to her mom and her family there, but she is going to be sorely missed with us. Hey, as we get started this morning, I want to just toss out a couple of questions uh, because some of you, when you look back on what was, your, what was your athletic involvement, maybe in the past, for some of you, it may be currently, but for some of you in the past, you were a runner. Uh, let me just ask that question. You can wave at me. It's legal in a church like ours. If you remember a time when you were like back in high school or college, maybe even middle school, when you were like part of a track team or a cross country team, would you just wave your hand at me like this? You remember those days you did that, you, you did that before. How many of you are currently uh, runner. You maybe run competitively in a lot of different races, or you just sort of recreationally uh, do it on your own. It's okay. Uh, how many of you are currently runners? Just wave your hand at me like this a little bit, all right? I had a lot of runners in the 930 service. Uh, how many of you how many of you uh, have thought about running before or you want other people to think that you're a runner and you're not? I mean, you've, you, you, you've thought about it. It's just not moved you enough yet, but maybe that day will come. Now, if you run in whatever capacity that you did run or you're currently running, one of the things that you love about the journey, if you're engaged in running, you know that when you get to the end of that journey and it's already on the screen, you know that one of the great sights that you're going to behold is what? It is the finish line. That is a great feeling when you're running, especially if it's been a long run and you come up on that finish line that is awaiting you. Now, to guide us today, I want us to unpack the words of Paul. Paul is this veteran church leader in the first century who experienced in his own life a very rigorous race of his own. By the way, when you see his life, you're going to realize, hey, man, Paul didn't have it easy. He had some tremendous challenges in his life. You're going to see this, but let's get right to the text because I'm eager to talk to you about it. So this is out of uh, 2 Timothy. It's Paul's second letter to this young leader by the name of Timothy, of course. This is chapter 4. Look at verses 7 and 8. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race. Three things he's saying here, primarily, and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. And we'll come back to that as well because it really matters. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, and he uses that language, I also believe very intentionally, which the righteous judge will award to me on that day. He's speaking personally. He's going to award to me on that day. But look at what he says next. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is what's going to happen. This is what Paul is saying. This is going to happen for me, but it's not just for me. It's for some other people as well. Hopefully lots and lots of other people. Now, just some brief background before we dig in here. Uh, there was a time when Paul was writing another letter, not to this young leader by the name of Timothy, but he was actually writing a letter to a group of believers living in a place called Philippi. That's why this letter is called Philippians. You've read it, many of you have, in the New Testament. In that letter, he had talked about how that he hoped that God would grant him more time and more opportunity to continue in his ministry. It's like, you know what? And he faced that struggle. Some of you will remember the language that Paul uses. He said, I have this, like, and I'm paraphrasing here, this dilemma. I've got this challenge. And, and then he talks about, I have this desire to depart and be with Jesus, to be with Christ, because that would be so much better. But there's this other side of me that I know that I need to stay here and continue my ministry with you. And so in this context, in Philippi, Paul is actually saying, you know what? I hope that God will give me a little more time and a little opportunity to be among you and to continue in his ministry. And God, in fact, did grant that unto Paul. But now in the passage that we're looking at, passage being these two verses, he's saying, you know what? Now I am at the end. I am legitimately at the end of my race. And he conveys what is this sense of finality. For him, this is it. It's over. His fight, his race is just about near the end. Now, you saw these words moments ago, uh, verse 7 and verse 8. But in verse 7, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more than we will verse 8. But here in verse 8, he makes three statements. And I think this, you know, it's a technicality, but I think it bears mentioning that he makes three statements and he uses a verb that is in the present tense to express each accomplishment. And we're going to talk about it. But he says, listen to how he says this. He says, I have fought something I've been involved in. I have finished and I have kept. In this case, I've kept the faith. A number of years ago, I picked up a book by Carrie Shook. And in that book, he makes a statement. He said, God put you on earth for a reason. And he has a plan for your life. But this life is not the end. Scripture is very clear about this reality. One day you will stop breathing. That will be true for all of us in this room. But you won't, he says, and he's entirely right. You will not stop living. You'll live forever in eternity. One moment after you die, one moment after you die, you'll experience either the greatest celebration ever or the greatest separation ever. One moment after you pass. So keeping that in mind, I want to now take a few moments and just talk about with you these two verses, and we're going to learn some things that I think are going to be helpful to us. Let's work our way through these two verses. First of all, 2 Timothy, again, we're at chapter 4, we're at verse 7, and we're in the A part when we see his first, his first statement. Look at it with me. He said, 
I have fought the good fight. The good fight. I have fought the good fight. Now, if anybody, if anybody knew what it was like to live an embattled kind of life, it was certainly Paul. I mean, when you look at his life, just some of the challenges and frustrations that he experienced in his life. Here was a guy that loved God passionately. It's interesting, before he came to Christ, he was trying to, you know, defeat the purposes of Jesus. He was locking up men and women uh, in prison, those who were wanting to become followers of Jesus, and he has this radical conversion. He gives his life to Jesus. He becomes very passionate and very effective and fruitful in the ministry that God had granted to him, but it was not going to be an easy path, an easy life for Paul. And when you read his letters, and he has a law of letters in the New Testament, maybe you don't know that all of them belong to Paul, but once you get past like the Gospels, the four Gospels, and the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts, then you start getting into like his first letter to believers in Corinth, and then his second letter, then he writes to believers in Galatia, Galatians, and Ephesians, and Philippians, and Colossians. He would write two letters to Timothy. You just saw some words from his second letter. He would write letters to, uh, to believers living in Thessalonica, and so Paul would write a lot. And I would challenge you, maybe even over the Thanksgiving holidays, you'll want to immerse yourself in some of these letters. And when you do, you're going to see that he had anything but an easy life. He was often criticized. He was rejected countless numbers of times. He was betrayed. He was beaten. I mean, beaten without mercy. He had sleepless nights. He talked about times in his life when he was hungry. He said, I was, I've been misunderstood so many times. It's, um, it's unbelievable. He had been in prison because of his faith and trust in Jesus. And as I'll talk about at the end of this message, he was also ultimately martyred. He ended up giving up his life. He was executed because of his faith in Jesus. I want you to listen to just some of his words. This is actually out of that second letter that he writes to believers in Corinth. And this is what he said. He said, my life has been filled with all kinds of problems. He said, I've been in danger from bandits I've been in danger from my fellow Jews. And he could say that because that was who Paul was. He was a Jew. He said, but it's not just among the Jews. He said, I've been in danger from Gentiles. So, you know, I can't make the Jews happy and I can't make the Gentiles happy. I've been in danger from both groups. He said, I've been da in danger in the city, like when I was in larger metropolitan areas. But when I wasn't in the, you know, the cities and I was in the country, I've been in danger in the country. I've been in danger from false believers, like people who pretended that, that they were Christians, but they were not. And and his life had not been easy at all. This strong, courageous church leader was totally, totally, and it's important for us to keep this in mind when we look at what we're looking at today. He was totally unfamiliar with an easy life. And that most likely, listen, I hate to tell you this, but that is most likely going to be true of you. You're not going to have an easy life. Most of you have already realized that. A lot of you are saying, you know what? You don't have to tell me anything new because right now, it's not like somewhere way back when or not like something that you anticipate is going to occur in the future. It's like, you know what, Jeff, now that you mentioned it, yeah, there, I'm going through some stuff now. And maybe it's in your health and, or, or maybe it's in a relationship that that relationship is so meaningful to you. But now that whole thing is up in the air. Maybe it's in your, your workplace and you're like, you know what? I wanted this job. I wanted to keep this job. When I first got this job, I thought it was going to be good, but it's turned out to be anything but that. My, my career's in jeopardy. This business that I had a passion to begin and I invested capital in. And now I don't know what's going to happen with my business. So many things are changing. And, and you just look at your life. You look at your health. You look at your own family and you just say, you know what? Life is not easy. 
But Paul, when you look at what he did, and he becomes this wonderful example for us. He just kept on moving and kept on reaching and he kept on fighting. But then you and I have to take that and we have to sort of like look at that personally and say, well, you know, do, do I have what it takes to keep doing that? You know, when my life is not easy, am I going to be all in with Jesus as long as my life is painless and uncomplicated? But what do you do? I mean, because all of us are going to face this. What do you do when you have questions in your life? Have you ever had a question? You don't have to raise your hand like, God, where are you? Like, where are you? Uh, God, do you know what's going on in my life? Do you know what I'm experiencing at work? Do you know what I'm going through in my own family? Do you know, God, are you aware of the, you know, the, the health, you know, challenge that I have in my life? Or, or when you have doubts, or when you have fears, when you have setbacks, or when you're attacked, or when you have pain, pain in your life. And it's like, all right, am I all in with Jesus just when life is uncomplicated and easy? Or am I, or am I going to dig in like Paul <laughs> and going to keep fighting and struggling and running? And Paul would challenge us if he were here and he would be talking to you one-on-one and knowing what your own personal challenge is, Paul would look at you and he'd say, you know what? I've been there. You know, I've, I've been there. He said, let's, let's talk about it. Maybe Paul would sit down and say, hey, let's just share a cup of coffee together. And, you know, because he was a highly spiritual man, I think he'd actually ask you to meet him at Chick-fil-A. But that's a whole other story and that's speculation. But he'd just say, you know what? I know what's going on in your life. And you just keep on pressing. And he would encourage us to keep on fighting, to stay in the ring, to stay in the game, to not give up. And at the end of his life, he could say, you know what? I did that. And looking back, I can say, I can say, because now I'm at the finish line, I can say that by God's grace and with his help, I have finished the race. But then look at what he says secondly. This is still in that same verse, verse 7, 2 Timothy 4. Next statement he said, and you know what? I have also finish the race. You know what? I fought the fight. I have. I've just hung in there when it wasn't easy to hang in there. And I just kept fighting because it was worth it to keep on fighting. And you know, just so you might would know, Paul would say, I have, I have finished the race now. Bible scholars believe that Paul's statement here is connected to some very important words that he shares with some first century Christians in Philippi. I mentioned that letter a little while earlier. This is what he tells them. It's not on the screen, but I want you to listen to what he says to them. He says, as he's talking to these believers who are going through their own struggles and their own challenges, their own battles, he said, do this. He said, hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or I did not labor in vain. And see, friends, that's really the attitude that you and I are going to want to have when we get to the end of our life, where we look back and say, you know what? I followed God when it was easy to follow God. I was devoted to Christ when it was easy to be devoted to Christ. But you know, during the tough times, I just kept fighting. I didn't blame God. I didn't get mad at God. I didn't get angry with God. Now, there were a lot of things I didn't understand. And there were a lot of questions that I had and a lot of frustrations, but I knew it wasn't God's fault. And I knew that God loved me. And I'm, and I'm glad I stayed in the game. I'm glad I kept running the race because I can look back now and realize that that I was not running that race in vain. There was a purpose. There was a destiny involved. I'm so glad that I did not labor in vain. 
And it is interesting to me that Paul is not claiming to have won the race. He never said, all right, you know, I came in first place. He, it's, it's not about status. It's not about his standing. He is thankful. This is important for you and I to keep in mind. He's not claiming to have won the race. He is simply saying, I'm thankful and I'm content to have simply stayed the course. I just, even when it wasn't easy, I just stayed the course. And, you know, when I was reading and working on this talk for today, you know, it just caused me to reflect and caused me to realize something. And I see things differently. You know, when I was like a young pastor just starting out, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of energy. I still have a lot of energy and I had a lot of excitement. I hopefully still have a lot of excitement, but I didn't have as much wisdom. And there's things now that I've been a pastor looking back that I appreciate and value now that I didn't when I just started out. One of the things that I value when I look at the lives of the followers of Jesus is this. I, I just look and I say, you know, the longer that I live and the longer that I'm around people who know and love God and the people that say, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus, the more that I realize that there is something to be said for endurance, for just keeping on, keeping on. And see, that's, that's not an automatic deal. The choice is ours for every one of us. Listen, Hear, hear me, please, what I'm about to tell you. The choice is yours. You can either say, I'm going to have an enduring spirit and I'm going to keep fighting and running when it's not easy to fight and run. I'm just going to be a quitter. And a lot of people, you know, it's sad to say, but a lot of people choose to quit. And we can be a quitter if we want to. Or we can say, you know what? I, I'm not going to be a quitter. I am bound to determine with God's help and by his grace to finish my race. I don't know what Paul did, but I'm bound and determined to finish my race strong as well. I've, I've fought the fight, but I've run the race. Now, I've got to ask you a question. If you've ever been around Lake Hollingsworth, you know it is a beautiful, beautiful place. So, uh, again, it's legal, and, you know, you can raise your hand, all that kind of stuff. So I want your interaction. So I've just got to ask you a question. How many of you, you know where Lake Hollingsworth is? Wave at me. You know where Lake Hollingsworth is. All right. So here's another question. How many of you have either ran or walked around Lake Hollingsworth. Let me wave at me like this. You've ran around Lake Hollingsworth or you've walked around it. Now, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but I'll ask it nevertheless. How many of you have ever driven around it in your car and pretend that you were running it? Like, oh, this is great. This is a wonderful workout. This feels so good. I feel so exhilarated and I can't. All right, so maybe you've done that. And you're like, okay, that's just my starting spot. But I've written that late so many, many, many times in the past. You know, one of the things that I like is just knowing, you know, where the starting point is, but really appreciating even more the finish line, knowing where. And have you ever, those of you that have ever ran or walked the lake, have you ever just, have you ever just felt like in the middle of your run or in the middle of your walk, it's like, you know what, what I'd really do if I did what I wanted to do, I would just quit. I would just stop right here. I would take up hitchhiking right now and say, hey, could you get me the rest of the way to my car? Because, you, you know, you can say, I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep running or I'm going to quit. Those of you that have ridden a stationary bike, I do that a lot more these days than running just because of, you know, some, just some wear and tear that I've done to my own knees over the years. By the way, keep Tom Liner in your prayers. He's a guy faithfully involved in the tech team of our church, just had some knee surgery and run our big time runner. And I talked to him this week. He's like, man, it's just hard not being able to run right now. And, and so, um, 
you know, Tom would be able to resume running. But for me, I ride a stationary bike a lot more these days than I used to. How many of you have ever done that? Wave at me. Again, it's all right. You've ridden a stationary bike. How many of you have ever, you've ever been on a stationary bike and it felt like you have ridden for an hour, but then you look at your watch and you've been on it an entire 37 seconds? Have you ever felt like that before? Like, okay, this is, and you just want to, why do I keep pressing on? I just, it'd be easy to just quit, but you just keep on. And there's always going to be things in life that will persuade you to quit. Life beckons you to quit. And the evil one, I believe, really participates in that. He comes along, spiritually speaking, and he says, you know what? You just need to quit. You know, you're trying to, you're trying to just, you know, be what God wants you to be and look at these problems, and you're trying to do the right thing, and you're faced with these. Why don't you just quit? Why don't you just, why don't you just quit on a righteous life? Because really, you know, you see people that are around you, the people that you work with, and you know that they live wild and reckless kinds of lives, and it seems that things are going pretty good. Why, why do you keep trying to live this righteous life? Why don't you just quit that? Why why don't you just quit the righteous life? Why don't you just quit church? You know, I mentioned to you a moment ago, I've been a pastor for a lot of years now, and I've, I've just learned, you know, stuff over the years. And one of the things that I've heard, and I still, you know what? I, I don't understand it today. I didn't understand it then. I hope I never understand it. But I've heard this. Uh, you know, if you've said it, I've never heard you say it. But if you said it, then it can just resonate with you, you know, if it, if it fits. But I've heard people say, you're not going to believe this, uh, but I've heard people say something like this. You know what? I work so hard all week long that Sunday is my day. Well, it's not your day. It's God's day. And you know, to say, well, you know, I worked so hard all week long that Sunday is my day. You know, if you take that and you just sort of follow that all the way out, that would be like saying, you know what? The only people that should go to church then would be maybe lazy, unmotivated, people that don't work a whole lot. Like I work a whole lot more than most people in the world. And because I work now, I've, I've, I've got some words for you. If that's your attitude where you just say, you know, I just work so hard, harder than most people. Then, uh, then hear me out. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> you know, the world is run. How many of you know this? The world is run by tired people. You're not the only person that works hard. And I just, you know, if it wasn't so serious and if it wasn't so like, really? I, I just have to laugh. Well, you know, I work so hard during the week. Sunday is my day to just, you know, I just, yeah. I'm not trying to start anything here. I just don't know how that's going to sound. At the end of time, like God, you know, I just, you know, that job, I just, and so, you know, you can say, well, I'm going to quit on a righteous life. Or I'll quit on church or I'm going to quit on my faith or I'm, I'm going to quit on full devotion uh, to Jesus. And Paul would say, no, 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 you don't do that. You stay in there. You stay in the game. <laughs> you stay in the ring. You keep on fighting and you keep on running. And then I want you to look at his third statement. Check this out right here. Still in that same verse, but he says, I mentioned there were three things. He said, and you know what I've also done? He said, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. When I think about a family in our church, and I'm about to tell you a story, and if you have anything else dancing around in your mind about, you know what, I've got family coming in and Thanksgiving, and I've got to go to the store, and I'm just push that out of your mind for the next few moments. I want you to hear about this amazing family in our church. Some of you have heard me talk about them before. They're a great, great family. It's the Warren family. Brian and, War, uh, uh, Brian and Marcia, and they have three incredible kids and some of you have heard me mention, hey, let's be praying for Marcia. We need to st uh, continue to pray for Marcia. Marcia is in her, in her early 
40s. I had a conversation with Brian uh, just this past Friday, and I stay in contact with him a lot because of what is going on with their family. But a number of months ago, Marcia just thought that she had like flu-like symptoms. And uh, it's like she just couldn't get over it, and she should have been over it, but wasn't over it. And she ended up going to the doctor, and then they ran tests and more tests. And she was diagnosed with a very, very serious form of cancer. It started out as pancreatic cancer. Now it's in so many other places. And to be quite honest, her prognosis right now is, is just not very good. And they're a wonderful family. Brian and Connor uh, was her husband and one of the kids were in the 930 service. And so uh, Brian, I, a lot of times call him again, just because of what they're going through. And it appears that unless Marcia has like this unbelievable um, miracle, she doesn't have a whole lot longer and it's it's sad and it's tragic but you know what they've kept the faith and so I was going to call Brian on Friday but Brian beat me to it and so my phone went off and I saw my cell phone and it said Brian and Brian Warren and I picked it up I said hey Brian I was going to call you you know later but thanks for calling he said pastor he said he said I've got to tell you an amazing story and and uh he said something that happened and Marsha's right here. It happened to our family today when I went into work. And he said, Marsha's right here, and I want to tell you what happened. And I said, well, Brian, uh, I'm eager to hear it. He said, well, I, I knew uh, for days that my boss, where I work, he's a great employee, great worker, very capable, very smart. He said, my boss had called me and asked me to come in. Friday at 10, this past Friday at 10 for a meeting. And he said, I, you know, I, it wasn't like he was concerned about his job or anything, but he's, I was sort of anxious about it because they've been so kind to me, knowing Marcia's prognosis. They've been letting me work from home and be with her and be with the kids. And so I was wondering if maybe they were going to need me to come back to the office. And so I'm anticipating this. And he said, so I show up on Friday at 10 o'clock. And when I show up at Friday at 10 o'clock, you know, she brings me back into the conference room. There's a lot of employees in there, fellow employees and friends. And they just, they just said, hey, Brian, we just wanted, we know what you guys are walking through. And, and we just wanted to bless you and gave him an envelope. The envelope had some cash. And of course, he was very, very thankful and grateful. He didn't count it, obviously, there, but he had counted it later. He said, now, Pastor, what I need to tell you, he said that morning, somewhere around 8 o'clock, Marcia, very, very sick wife, she had gone online. And there was another family that they've gotten to know through like some support groups for cancer, families struggling with cancer. And one of these families had lost their loved ones just a few days ago. So Marcia had gone online. If you can imagine this, this tells you a lot about the family. She went online and she wired $100 to this family to help them in time of need and uh, did that. That tells you about their heart, about what kind of quality people they are. And he said, while she's online, we, we pay our tithe. And so we paid our tithe online and I'll tell all these numbers and stuff with their permission. She said, he said, so Marcia went online and wired $100 to this family to help them and wired our tithe $500 to the church. So $600. So that happened about eight o'clock this morning. So I get home from meeting with my boss and these employees and I've got this envelope and I said, Marcia, you're not going to believe what has happened. They have blessed me. And he said, Marcia, right there. He said, I opened the envelope. Listen to this now. He said, I opened the envelope and I just started counting out the money and I just counted and there was a stack of $100. I went to the net, stack of $100, $100, $100, $100. $100. And he said, I had six stacks of $100 plus $3 left over. And I said, Marsha, you're not going to believe this. $600 
right here, $603. And this morning, I know that you wired that $100 and you paid our tithe online. He said, Marcia, you did that. $600 right here, right where he was counting. He said, hold on now. He said, I've got $603. And so he sort of smiled at Marcia and he said, Marcia, what does that tell you? That means we've got the $600. And he said, but $3 to spare. And she smiled back at her, back at him, even though she's weak and saying, and, and, and she said, no, she said, Brian, you don't realize that when I wired a hundred dollars to that family, there was a $3 charge to wire the $100. So $603 to the penny. And you know, yeah, we can give God some praise for that. Can't we? And you know what he said to me? He said this, he said, you know what? These are the things that I hear about ha happening to other people. But those kind of things never happen to us, but they did. And he said, you know, when, when I counted that $600 and then I smiled at Marcia and said, Marcia, what you paid online is covered. Plus we got three to the good. And she smiled back and said, there was a $3 charge. He said, I realized in that moment, we realized that God was saying, I haven't forgotten about you. I know about you. I see your struggle. I'm with you, and don't you ever forget it. And this is a family who has been through things that most of us could not even begin to imagine and in facing a challenge like most of us can't imagine, and yet they have kept the faith. While I was digging in on the research side of this passage, this question is raised by scholars. When Paul here talks about keeping the faith, when he says the faith, is he talking about a body of doctrine as he does in numerous places throughout the scriptures? Or is Paul talking here about his own personal faith? And you know what the answer was, is a profound answer that these great minded scholars came up with. Here's what they say, either is possible. In other words, we don't know. Oh, well. We don't really know. Was he talking about a body of doctrine when he said, I've kept the faith? Was he talking about his own personal faith? We don't know. It could have been both. We don't know that. But you know what we do know? We do know that eternity is way too important to leave to chance. You and I should not look at the finish line. You and I should not look at eternity and say, you know what? I'm just going to leave it up to chance. It's going to be a roll of the dice. I hope I cover the spread. I hope I beat the odds. Please, friends, when you look at your eternity and when you look at the finish line, don't have that attitude because the reality is, listen to me, your next home is going to be your forever home. I'm not talking about your logistical address, of course, but your next home is going to be your forever home. And the next season of your life is going to be your forever season. And not a single person in this entire world, including you and me, will ever be able to get a free pass into heaven because of our good works. Well, we'll just say, you know what? I know that I've got a guaranteed seat in heaven because I, good, I do good deeds. I help this person. I volunteer for that cause. I, you know what? Those are good things. And we ought to do good things. We ought to do good words, but that is not a free pass into heaven, nor can we say, well, you know what? I know what's going to get me into heaven. I live a life that is like, it's not right, really good, but it's above average behavior. And when I look around me, the people that I work with and their wild kind of outlandish lives, I look at my life and I say, you know what? I live above average behavior and great, great. We celebrate that, but that's not going to give you a free pass into heaven. When you say, well, you know what? I've got the faith of my parents. I was raised in a Christian home and they 
they kept me in church. And way back there, way, way, way back there somewhere, I prayed a little prayer, and I've just sort of lived reckless ever since. But you know what? I've got the faith of my parents. That's not going to be enough. Thank God for your family. Thank God your mom and dad kept you in church. But you're not going to get into heaven on the faith of your parents. Some people say, well, you know what? Their understanding is I'm going to get into heaven because I'm a U.S. citizen, because in their connotation of thinking, America is a Christian nation. And therefore, like if you're an American, you got to be, you know, by osmosis, you got to be a Christian. And so I'm an American. So I'm getting, and you, we, it's not going to work that way. In fact, Jesus is very clear about it. Jesus said, there's only one way to get to heaven. And that is, we've got to go through him. This is not on the screen, but Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The only way to the father, the only way to get to heaven is through me. And you and I, we ought to do good words. Thank God for our families. Thank God for the blessings of living in a Christian nation for the most part. Thank God that we live above average behavior. But none of those things are going to get us into heaven. You got to go through Jesus. You got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. So Paul says, you know what? I look back at my life. He's at the finish line now. And he said, I'm near the end. This is it for me. It's about over. And he said, but I want you to know. And he'd encourage us. If he was sitting down with you, he'd say, you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. I have fought the fight. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. And then I want you to notice next what he says in verse 8. We're going to start wrapping up. You've got to see this, though. This is verse 8. And he said, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. I want to stop right there. Time out, time out, time out. Paul used that language very intentionally. When he said, now there's in heaven stored up for me the crown of righteousness. See, a lot of times we think that the Olympic games are modern things, like a modern sport. Like, uh, yeah, there were some, you know, people that we know sort of historically that was involved like back 40, 50 years ago. But do you realize the Olympic games go all the way back to Paul's day? And everybody, when Paul used this expression, the crown of righteousness, people would get it because they were used to seeing people having a crown conferred upon them when they were a winner in the Olympic games. And he said, you know what? There is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. And when he uses that language, you, you just read through that, you and I do. And I've read through it numerous times and I didn't really dig into what Paul was saying. But when he says what the righteous judge, most, most scholars believe that when he uses that language, he is actually making an implied contrast here. When he says the righteous judge, he's talking, of course, about God. And, and many believe that this is, uh, this is that implied contrast between a perfectly fair judge who is God and the perverted sense of justice that he was all too familiar with firsthand as he suffered under the oppression of Emperor Nero. Just ahead of Paul was something so incredibly superior to anything that he had ever experienced before. It was a forever endless life in heaven because Paul had fought the fight and he had kept, he had finished his race and he had kept the faith. One writer in his attempt to describe heaven offers this. I want to just read it to you for a moment. This writer pins it this way in talking about heaven. It will be joy without measure. Think of your graduation day, your wedding day, your birthday, your child's birthday, summer vacations, a promotion, retirement, good times with friends, affirmation from your parents, leading all your family members to Christ, good health. What if every hour of every day you experience the glory and joy of all these things at once? in this sense of, of their fullest intensity. And then in describing heaven, he writes, the intensity of heaven will be a million times greater than that. 
You, you know what he's saying? Take your greatest day, all of your greatest days ever, and you put them together, your greatest memories, and you put them together. And as great as that is, combined together will never measure up to what every moment in heaven will be like. Well, maybe you're wondering, and with this, I'm gonna start wrapping up. Maybe you're wondering, was this another, you know, one of those times in Paul's life when he like writes to the Philippians like, hey, this may be time for me to go, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I need to continue on in my ministry. Was this another one of those occasions? And, and it was not. It was not. This was, in fact, the end of Paul's life. He was executed. History and tradition tells us that right after this, not too long after this, that it was actually in late A.D. 66 or early 67 when Paul was beheaded on the Ostian Way. And some of you are saying, well, Ostian Way, don't even get that. Ostian Way, he was, he was executed, he was beheaded in Rome. And the Ostian Way was actually a road, a pretty sophisticated road that ran out of Rome, the western side of the city. It was about 19 miles long. And there Paul was beheaded because of his faith in Jesus. But he did not go kicking and screaming because he was absolutely certain that awaiting him was a crown and a life and a forever season just waiting in heaven for him. I want you to check out what John Ortberg writes in one of his books. Look at it right up here on the screen. He says, I believe that the most amazing five minutes will be the first five minutes after you die. And you think about that. The most amazing five minutes of your life, my life, hopefully will be the first five minutes after we die. Because we'll look back and we'll say, no matter how difficult it was, no matter what I walked through, it was worth not being a quitter. I'm so glad that I fought the fight. I'm so glad that I ran the race. I'm so glad that I kept the faith. What's it going to be like when you die? What's the first five minutes of your life going to be? Is it going to be like Paul is talking about here? Is it going to be reward and rejoicing? Or could it possibly be regret because you knew what you should have done and you didn't do it? May I ask you, have you received into your own life personally? Have you received Jesus? See, the faith of your mom and dad is not going to get you into heaven. The fact that you're a good, moral, decent person, a hardworking person, a wonderful citizen, you get out and vote, you work, you volunteer, and you do a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But that's not a free pass. The only way to get to God, the only way to get to heaven is to go through Jesus. And has, have you received him as the Savior and the leader of your life? Do you know that you know that you know that when you cross the finish line that heaven is waiting for you? I close with this story. Happened in the early 1800s. John Todd was a very young boy when the death of his parents left him and his siblings orphan. He was one of several children, and as was common in the early 1800s, I saw this in a book some time ago, he and all of his siblings were farmed out to relatives. An aunt offered to take care of little John. She sent a servant by the name of Caesar to bring John back to her. The boy climbed on the back of the horse. Again, remember, early 1800s, means of transportation. He wrapped his small arms around the man and set out for her house. His questions unveiled his fears. He asked, will she be there? Oh, yes, Caesar answered. She'll be there waiting up for you. Well, I like living with her. Oh, yeah. 
My son, you're about to fall into great hands. Will she love me? The servant was patient and soft in his reply. Oh, yeah, she'll love you. She's got a great big heart. Do you think she'll go to bed before we get there? Oh, no. She'll be sure to wait up for you. You'll see when we get out of these woods, you'll see her candle in the window. Sure enough, as they neared the house, John saw a candle in the window and his aunt was standing in the doorway. As he shyly approached the porch, she reached down and kissed him and said, welcome, welcome home. Young John Todd grew up in his aunt's care. She was a mother to him. When the time came for him to select a profession, he followed a calling into the pastorate. Years later, the role with his aunt was reversed. She sent news of her failing health and impending death. And here is what John Todd wrote in reply. My dear aunt, years ago, I left a house of death not knowing where I was to go, whether anybody cared, whether it was the end of me. The ride was long, but the servant encouraged me. Finally, I arrived at your embrace in a new home. I was expected. I felt safe. You did it all for me. Now, it's your turn to go. I'm writing to let you know someone is waiting up. Your room is ready. The light is on. The door is open. And you're expected. I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now Paul says there is a crown of righteousness that has been held in heaven. He says, don't you love this? For me, but not only for me, but for all who are waiting the Lord's appearing. I so want that to be true of you. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? Right there where you're at, would you just bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And I ask you again, do you know, do you know, do you know that you're ready for heaven? Have you received Jesus as the Savior and the leader of your life? Do you know without any doubt that when you come to the end of the race and you bust through the finish line, that the next five minutes of your life is going to be the greatest five minutes you've ever known and experienced? If you say, Jeff, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not absolutely certain that I'm in right standing with God. I don't know that I'm ready for heaven, but I want to know that before I leave here today. I must know that before I leave here today. Would you take a moment and would you just raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand real high? Lift it up for just a moment. Let me see your hand. And I see a lot of hands. I see a lot of hands. And I want to pray for you right here, right now. So while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you just pray this prayer with me? Everybody pray it out loud because it will help those who have just raised their hand. Will you pray this prayer with me, everybody? Dear Jesus, I know that you love me. I know that you give me grace and mercy and forgiveness. I need you in my life. I want to fight the good fight. I want to run the race. I want to keep the faith. Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my Savior and to be the leader of my life. I want to know for certain that when I die and that when I cross the finish line, I walk into heaven, my forever home. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross for me. I receive you, Jesus. And I thank you that you receive me in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. can we put our hands together and let's clap. Give God some praise.
I love you, everybody. I hope you have an awesome week and an awesome Thanksgiving. See you again real soon.